stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Is it's not just about learning for myself that everything I learn is a seed to be planted in the consciousness of others. If you come to the class, we're going to pay you. We're not going to call it a salary. We're going to call it a stipend. If you're working on your doctorate, they give you a stipend. <laughs> you go to college, they give you a stipend. So when you come to school with us in the project, let us give you a stipend. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. All right, it's time to get on code, and the code is empowerment. The code is empowerment. It's kind of based on, you know, the Honorable Neely Fuller's uh, compensatory code for the Negro. But we kind of just shrink all of that down and compress it into the concept of empowerment, where everything that we're focused on is empowering yourself in a tangible manner. When I talk about inspirational, (laughs) a lot of people get inspirational mixed up with empowerment. Uh, we're talking about actual, real, tangible empowerment. And today, it's kind of like the author's version. We have two of the greatest <laughs> authors on the planet with us. Oh. To my right, <laughs> Minister Zumbi. What's up, bro? How you doing? Peace and blessings. Right. Good stuff, good stuff. You know, he's the author of the excellent manifesto on how we should be doing things correctly financially. Go, the, the Gospel of Afronomics Theology. And look, get ready. <laughs> Be ye prepared. Batten down the hatchets. <laughs> we have the author of Stop F and Settling. <laughs> Woo, Queen J. How's it do? What it do? Good day. Good day. I'm good. Um, you're so funny. That yeah, don't be hyping me out like that. <laughs> <laughs> an ancestor, Dr. Miles Monroe, and he was given a workshop about how to write and publish a book. And he's telling the story about how he was given a workshop in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, about being single. And there was a representative from a publishing company in the audience who approached him and said, that's the greatest perspective I've ever heard on that topic. We need to put this in a book. He was reluctant. He says, look, here's my card. Think about it. He goes back to his hotel. He was tossing and turning. And then he said, God told him three reasons to write this book. And I'll skip to the third one. The third reason, according to Dr. Monroe, God told him, if you do not write this book, you are a generational thief. Because what you're doing is, is that you're keeping it all inside you and then taking it with you to the grave, not leaving anything for the next generation. That was kind of my driving force when when I initially wrote GOAT, because I think what happens is we don't think beyond ourselves and we need to begin to start leaving not only legacies, but blueprints to make sure those future generations don't make the same mistakes that we made and previous generations made. I say, in my I book, say that. I write a letter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and last thing I, I wrote a, in my book, I wrote a letter to all African men. And I said, as much as I love Malcolm, 
he made the mistake of placing the welfare of his family in the hands or at the mercy of somebody else's generosity or lack thereof. And he even lamented that he felt that he failed as a provider for Sister Betty and the children. Fortunately, he was able to set up a situation where no matter what happened to him, uh, the family would receive royalties from the book. So how do we ensure as everybody writes their book that that book will outlive them? So that, that's, that was kind of the driving force for me in, in writing Go. All right, well, let's continue with this uh, author talk. Speaking of leaving a blueprint, I have with me the 12 Universal Laws of Success, Dr. Herbert Harris. He was on the show before. I dug his stuff. I've been learning from him. I've been actually taking that blueprint. You know, you talked about leaving a blueprint. You know, when we look at our um, comedic ancestors, we look at our Nubian ancestors, they left blueprints etched in stone. You know what I'm saying? And so etched in paper, and hopefully we got to get it etched in stone somehow, man. We got to make sure this survives the millennia. Um, we have with us the good elder. I'm going to call him uh, Elder Young Stuff because he likes to act like he's young. <laughs> I am young. <laughs> so look, Dr. Herbert Harris is the author of tonight's focus, the 12 Universal Laws of Success. We have with us Queen Jay. She's the author of the interesting memoir, Stop Effing, Stop Effing Settling. <laughs> I'll let her say the whole thing. And we have with us, of course, you know, the great Minister Zumbi. But tonight, man, we're going to learn from the millionaire mentor. You know, you deal with metaphysics, millionaires, and laws for success. So why don't we why don't we hit start with the metaphysics piece? Then we'll go into the millionaire stuff, what you do with millionaires, and then we'll go into the laws for success. And Queen Jay has been listening to your audio book of this. So we're all kind of, you know, Zumbi introduced me to the book. Queen Jay's been listening to her audio version. And now we have you on the podcast, man. So good to have you on Get On Code. Let's get on code. Talk to us about metaphysics, man. Well, you know, Seiko, uh, it's all one thing, really. You know, the, the, the idea of metaphysics is that physics is like the study of, you might say, physical phenomenon. Metaphysics is really beyond the physical phenomenon to the spiritual phenomenon. But in reality, it's all one thing. You know, we are, for example... We as human beings are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And so everything that exists already exists in a spiritual form and spiritual is also intertwined with energy. Everything has a vibration. Everything, uh, a rock has a vibration, a bird has a vibration. You, I have vibrations, not only on a physical level, but on a spiritual, on a mental, on an emotional level. And so... The idea of metaphysics now ties it all together that it's one thing. And so when we feel something, for example, in our emotional uh, level, it creates a vibration which then resonates with the whole universe, attracting into our space that which is congruent with that feeling. A thought has a vibration. It attracts into our space a thought that is congruent with that, uh, a, a, a result that is congruent with that thought. 
And so the idea of metaphysics is it's all one thing. It's all the manifestation of a powerful truth that will touch people in a way that makes them one with the universe. I, I hadn't heard metaphysics described in that manner before. Mm. Well, it's very practical. You know, sometimes ideas can be elevated so high in people's talk that they don't necessarily comprehend the idea in its reality, in its manifestation. So we can talk metaphysics, but when we realize that we live metaphysics, the fact that we're alive means that we're a vibration and we're a part of that overall universe. Principles, the universe operates on order, time, and choice. And so we have the, the order and the principles of how things work. You know, that there's a specific way that things go down. Time, things happen over a period of time, which is something that we comprehend. There is absolute time, which is always the now. In the God mind, in the spiritual mind, there's no past or future. There's always only now. It is our comprehension of it that gives a past, present, and future connotation to it. It's like, it's like a song is always playing. It, it, the, the song is always playing. We may or may not hear it, but the song is always playing. Time always exists. We respond to it based on how we connect with it. All right. So, so how does that? How, how do we bring that that high edge thinking into our daily lives? Like, look, Jay's a parent. Queen Jay's a parent. You know. So, how does she bring metaphysics into parenting? Well, better people make better parents. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Better people make better parents. And you know, there's no parenting book. You know, there you you get books that other people have written about parenting, but. On a spiritual level, parenting is something that we bring with us. The ideas of, you know, nobody has to teach a bird how to take care of its young, how to nurture its young to get to a certain point where it's independent. Nobody has to teach a squirrel to collect nuts for a winter never experienced. But man is unique in the sense that because we have this profound uh, spiritual connection and we might say emotional and thought possibilities that we can forget what we should have known so the, nobody has to teach the birds in the Bible it says that the lilies of the field they, they want not you know they, they, they create a, a life that even Solomon would be proud of and so the whole idea of parenting we come into a an environment where we are literally uh, like the miseducation of, uh, of the black man. We come into an environment where we have learned stuff about parenting, about being a mother, about being a father, which from the environment point of view is pretty radical and pretty negative. And so as a person learns who they are, as a person learns that you become what you think about most of the time, 
that you can transform your life by transforming your thinking. That if you have a vision and you write that vision, you can manifest that vision in your life. So as a parent, when we look at our kids, you say, well, you know what? If I transform my thinking, that children pick up what I do, even more so than what I say. And so if I transform my thinking so that I'm only thinking positive things, I'm only saying good things, I'm only saying uplifting things, that transforms to, trans to change my children to operate on that vibration. So as we become better people, as we take control of our lives, take control of our thoughts, take control of our emotions, many times people have experienced such trauma in their early years that that trauma persists into later years. And so now as a parent, that trauma can keep coming through. And so the laws of success says, hey, you can change your life by changing your thinking. You can change your emotions by reprogramming your mind, by understanding that the better I get as a person, the more capable I am as a parent. I just had to let that marinate. <laughs> I had to let that marinate. That deserved about 10 seconds of, um. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, Seku, we worked for four years in public housing. And we taught parenting classes. We taught over a thousand parents. And we were the only ones that would go to the, po the projects to teach the kids and teach the parents. And when we talk about metaphysics, what we found was that when the parents would come into the community center there in the, in the, in the projects, we tried to remove all those impediments. So for example, not understanding the financial situation of somebody in the project. So we said, well, look, if you come to the class, we're gonna pay you. We're not gonna call it a salary, we're gonna call it a stipend. If you were working on your doctor, they give you a stipend. <laughs> you go to college, they give you a stipend. So when you come to school with us in the project, let us give you a stipend. That stipend wasn't a big, but to a parent, that meant that they didn't have to cook dinner. It was enough money that they could come there that night and give us about two hours of their time. We provided childcare. But one of the interesting things we realized, we did interactive training. So we would have the parents, when they'd come in, we know, we realized they needed to disconnect because in some instances it was a negative environment. So let us start with the meditation. Let us take a deep breath. Let us relax ourselves. Let us program ourselves to be open and receptive to the knowledge they're getting ready to, to experience. In our teaching, we did what we call it super learning. You know, we just don't give you an idea. We let you say the idea and let you uh, do an affirmation on the idea. So when the kids would come and they'd hear the parents and they're doing all the affirmations, they didn't want to stay in there and play games. They wanted to come inside. So we found that the kids and the parents could be educated together. The kids came in and we said, look, well, you can come in, but you got to play by the rules. And so while there were little kids who would come in, they were too small to get up in the, on the, at the desk. They'd be on the floor. They wanted a notebook too. And mama has a notebook, I want a notebook. And next thing you know, when they do the affirmations, the kids are doing the affirmations. So it was a learning experience created in a vibration of understanding. You know? we, we sort of became a shield around the parents so that the system could not come in and do what it 
so often does. You know, people who never walked a mile in your shoes are going to come into the projects and try to teach you how to live. You know, I don't understand why you all do that. That's because you never walked a mile in my shoes. That's because you never stood the vi- understood and felt the vibrations that impact my life. So um, it was it was an interesting experience, and that was our mantra that better people make better parents. And as we we took it all the way through, our, our topics were the first idea was self image, how you see yourself, because so many times we are see ourselves in a way that we've been programmed to see ourselves. You know, Brother Zumbi, I know in 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 his in his really documentary work. A lot of the thoughts that he's sharing in there goes against the grain of what we've been told before. <laughs> okay. And so self-image, we talk about attitude. You know, that a parent, why don't you go to school to help your kids? We, we would ask open-ended questions. And one parent said, well, I don't go to school because I get arrested every time I go there. That was a shocker, <laughs> you know. And so, not only did they learn from us, we learned from them. Why do you get arrested? Because I go there and I get into a thing with the teacher. I get into a thing with the principal, you know. So I'm going there with a certain attitude now that creates this response in those people. So let me now reprogram my attitude. Let me go in with my communication skills. Let me let me look at how to set my goals. What are my goals for my children? What do I expect from you school, you people at school? You're all so busy disciplining the kids. Let me ask you, let me check if you're doing your job. Are you teaching them what they need to know to be successful? Or are you just trying to keep them in their seats? You know, many of the kids shared with us when we really worked with them. And I'm glad we did it over a four-year period because it gave us a chance to understand what they were saying. You know, when you when you work with people, you may be teaching them, but if you're a good teacher, they're going to be teaching you. If it's only one way, then you ain't a good teacher. <laughs> okay. So, when over that period of time, we saw things like the, the fact that 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 parents were intimidated by going to school because the schools treated them a certain kind of way, and so by the time. The parent came there, they were already an adversary. So how do we deal with that? Let's create some, let's create some buffers. Let's create some zones where parents and teachers and administrators can come together as regular people. You know, when I walk in the door, <laughs> you know, you already have a mindset. And so when we, when we start approaching things from that level, from an energy relationship, if I control my energy as a parent to a certain way and I come into the school, I'm not going to let you put me off course because I have a goal now for my children. I came here for a purpose. So I know now how to put you on in check. Not so you arrest me, but so you respect me. (laughs) So the 12 universal laws of success was our, was our, our, our manual our training manual. Wow. And hold up, hold up, hold up. I, I know you, I, I know we, we let you go when you go. <laughs> but Jay, you're muted. You're muted, Queen. I'm not sure why. Um, uh, How does that hit as a parent? How does that hit as an educator? 
Queen J, how does that hit as a parent and as an educator? Yeah, yeah. And once again, you still muted. I'm not sure what it is. Zumbi, bro. Now, Zumbi, you connected me with, you know, Dr. Herbert Harris. Are you still blown away by his concepts? I guess it just, it got him frozen. <laughs> I know. Is everybody, am I back? Hello? Yeah, you, you back, okay. Back and beautiful. All right, oh, so come no, with that it. That was awesome. No, yes. Um. Oh, you know, I'm all about the school and the parent relationship. And, you know, my reasoning for going, that's one of my reasonings for wanting to homeschool um, or advocate for homeschool because of that lack of communication and I feel like it's more on the school part of not knowing how to reach like like Dr. Herbert Harris said they have to build relationships outside of the school with these parents. They have to go into these communities. Like, it's just not about them being in the seat for testing. It should be about, okay, we're actually trying to raise these individuals as individuals. But it's not like that. So they don't go into the communities and have, like, you know, um, carnivals or think of a barbecue or anything. Like, just anything. Just um, summertime, like just things that show them that they they do care beyond them being a number. And the the food little programs and all that stuff they have, they do that because they get money for that. So it's not them showing care. So I'm not gonna get aggressive, but yeah, um, I totally understand and respect everything he said. <laughs> understand? She's not gonna get aggressive. Yeah, because um, you know I'm still so passionate about that. So it's like I'm still trying to calm down when I talk about school, public school system as a whole, because it's, it's yeah, you, it's still fresh. Look, too soon, too yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you think back to the school system, when, when we were writing uh, Solving the Race Issue in America, I came through the 50s and the 60s, and so I went to segregated schools. And so think about this, in 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education, the Supreme Court said you had you had to desegregate the schools. Many of the school systems, the administrators fought that. In, in, in my county, I'm in North Carolina, they fought it for 14 years. So even though the law came down in 1954, they fought it in court. So it was not implemented until 1968, 14 years later. And so, but the interesting was the same people who had fought the law, who wanted to maintain a segregated school system, was still in charge. <laughs> so when you come into the integrated schools, they were still in charge, and so they still saw the world from where they were, which was not a world of equity and a, and a, and a world of justice. There's a there's an old saying that a mind changed against its will is of the same opinion still. Hmm. Well, I'm about to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we come up to today and we find that the educated, there's no place in college that can educate most of them about how to come and deal with black students. Because black students come to school with a completely different experience. In segregated schools, the one thing you felt and you believed in the bottom of your heart was that that teacher cared about your instruction. And so if she talked harshly to you, it was you really felt that it was for your own good. 
to make you a better student, to, to warn you about things you needed to know about. But when you come into a hostile system, I mean, during that transition, black students would be in classes and the white teachers wouldn't even look at them to talk to them in the class. Rather than look at the student, they'd look out the window and forget asking a question. Okay? Forget, forget asking a question. They're not going to ask a question. And so it was almost like a, a stranger in a strange land, a, a hostile environment. And so as we come forward today, let's come up to today, the same thing is happening. We worked with the school system 10, 15 years ago, and the same things are happening right now. Yes, sir. The suspension rate is higher for black students. When we worked with some of the young students, we were teaching a class, and we told the students to sit up. Pay attention. And they said, well, why are you doing this? Why, where are you coming from, Doc? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, in school, they let us put our head down and sleep. Because in school, their main thing was to keep order, not to educate. And so if you kept your head down and slept, you didn't disrupt the class. And other people could be educated. You lost out, but that's just a casualty. <laughs> And so, the, when you look at it like that, it's a, it's a big dilemma. How can a teacher teach if a child is disruptive? Well, why is that child disruptive? Yeah. So, to go back to the roots of what the, what the issues are, what the time is, and what, what the cause is. So, this whole um, metaphysical approach was always saying, let's deal with the energy, let's deal with the vibrations. And so, if you're communicating with me, we had a session once. We had a white principal, and she really didn't understand. I mean, she, I had gone to the school, and they literally, this kid was about eight years old, and they had his desk duct taped to the floor. And so I saw that, I, you know, I, I didn't even have words. You know, what do you say you walk in a classroom, and a kid's a, a, a desk is duct taped to the floor? So I asked, I said, well, why is that? What's this? She said, oh, because this little kid, he'll throw that desk at people. And he's eight years old. Why was he so angry? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. And it, what, what's up with that? And what, what it was is they had never established a level of communication. When the kid came in, his name was whatever, Daquan. And uh, anyway, the teacher pronounced it wrong. Mm. Daquan, of course, res re responded, that's not my name. <laughs> okay. So the teacher said, well, what? I'm not going to call his name anymore. <laughs> I'll never call on this kid. And so you got no communication and you got an environment there where this child is trying to learn, but the environment is so hostile, he can't learn. We got that group of teachers together and said, like, what is going on here? Why? Why are you people angry? None of the teachers want to say why they like we're not angry. We're just trying to educate. And we went back and one of the principals, one of the ladies, she was a white lady, and we got back, we kept going beyond and said, Well, what is it that you really feel about black students? And we went back and we back and, and her a lot of her mindset was based on the fact that when she was in the twelfth grade, their school integrated. And because of integration, they didn't want black kids and white kids dancing 
together so they canceled the prom. Mm. And she was mad. She blamed the black kids for canceling the prom. Wow, that's deep. She was holding on to that as a principal? All those years. Oh, wow. And so many times you find trauma, stuff like that. When she saw it, she said, my God. She said, I didn't realize how much it impacted me. You know, Mm. we never went there before to find that, that everything has a seed. So back to the metaphysical part. The Bible says you can't get a good fruit out of a corrupt tree. And a corrupt tree will not produce a good fruit. And so the, 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 the thoughts that people have are like seeds in their mind planted, planted there during different times of trauma and, 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 and emotional interaction. Those seeds grow and impact every part of your life. So, I mean, this... But when we look at the world from that point of view, so everybody's a vibration. So if I'm not communicating with this child, it's because we have a different vibration level. How can I connect with his vibration? I can't demand it. I can't order it. I can only build the vibrations by trust and respect. So when we got the kids and the parents and administrators together in one room, and we would, we would do different sessions, and man, as that thing began to roll out, Everybody was transformed. The teachers were transformed. The students were transformed. But it's very something. We learned something from that. Minister Zumbi, we learned. I, I'm, I'm not a nonprofit person. You know, it always puzzled me why many young people want to set up nonprofits to address probably an ill. And that's a good idea. But you have people come from 12,000 miles away to open a store where we're trying to get a grant. Or they'll come here and open a store where we're trying to get a job. Okay. So. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we got to re- rewind. Rewind. <sighs> that point was salient. That point was salient. I, I I think you gotta say it again. I gotta say it again. <laughs> My question was, why do we have we think in this nonprofit mind, why do we have people come twelve thousand miles to open a store on our corner and sell goods to us and make money for themselves and we go pursuing a nonprofit to ask somebody to give us some money to change our condition. If we make the money, we can change our condition ourselves. <laughs> And so, what I learned on that, I was not against nonprofits, but that project was so big. If you, when we look at talk about reparations, that project was about as close to you might say a mindset of not reparations, but a mindset of atonement. You know, we talk about when we look at the spiritual approach to dealing with racism. First, you got to acknowledge it. Then you got to get ask forgiveness and then you have to make atonement. And so reparations is like a shadow of atonement. Atonement is about how do you make it right? And that grant was a massive grant. It was a $12 million grant, a four-year grant. And it attacked the various 
illnesses or areas. It, it was a coordinated effort between the Housing Authority, the Board of Education, the, the Welfare Department, the Community College, and we all put it all together. And so at the end of the four-year period, we could say we impacted a thousand families. I'd be out sometimes in, at the mall and I'd run into a, a young lady or, or a couple and they say like, oh, Dr. Harris, you know, we got our house because uh, mm-hmm. we, took, we took them all the way through. We had credit counseling and, and budgeting and stuff like that too. These are all things that people didn't learn. And with young people, with, with, with children having children, you know, Brother Seiko, we were talking about generational knowledge. And so my parents were business people. My daddy, he had a beer joint, you know. I, I think now it might be called an after-hours joint. Okay, <laughs> He ran a business. I'm not even sure if it was legal at the time. I didn't understand, but I know he ran a business. Okay. My mother was a school teacher, but she also owned real estate. She taught music. They were like entrepreneurs. So they taught me stuff like how to balance a checkbook and, you know, all the basics, the fundamentals of of, of money, of budgeting. But if you came from another environment, a a, a 18-year-old having a child who's and the the 18-year-old mother had her when she was 19, and so you get this generational thing, plus you have a system that almost makes the the recipient of the, the monies from the system almost makes them give up their humanity in so many ways. So now you 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 we attacked it from all the levels. So we attacked it from education with the folks on welfare. We worked out programs saying that they, they're going to cut you off welfare in five years. Okay, well, let us prepare you to get a job. We worked with the with the uh, uh, welfare department and the and the uh, community college to get them prepared to get into the job market. So at the end of the four years, we had done so much, so good, so well, and we had such incredible uh, results that we thought that the next renewal of the grant would not only be a renewal, but it would be bigger than $12 million. It would give us the chance now to expand because we were just operating in one county. We had a model that worked. We get downtown and they did, they denied the grant. I said, well, wait a minute, hold on. I thought the goal was to help people. I thought the goal was to transform people into a new life. Why are you denied? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, we see you got a good track record and we know you got good results, but we thought we want to give somebody else a chance. We didn't give somebody else a chance. We've demonstrated we can change things. And then I realized that, I think Malcolm said, the people who who imprison you are not going to finance your liberation. (laughs) I do believe that came from him. (laughs) And so this whole grant thing, it does some good. I'm not knocking it, but it's like we got to be clear on what the reality of it is. And so they they discontinued the program and gave it to somebody else. And so whatever we had built on was gone. Those who were helped were helped. So we did some good, but it made me understand that many times that idea of granting and is not, it's being done for their purpose, not necessarily your purpose. 
<laughs> got you, got you. Hey, Minister Zumbi, man, you really mm-hmm. blessed us by connecting us with you know Dr. Herbert Harris. Um, what say you, bro? Any thoughts? You gotta unmute. While you're working on that, man, I, I want to say, Doc, you just shared something that. Yeah, you're right. I know a lot of people who are working towards not-for-profit. And that's making me rethink a lot of the things. So, I want to get down to the meat and potatoes. Uh, the 12 Universal Laws of Success. I started teaching this with some of my students uh, before the school year ended. And they were kind of blown away. Why don't you take us through the 12 universal laws of success? And when you use the term universal, you know, what are you really saying, man? Are you saying this crosses all cultures? Are you saying that every planet in the universe has these success models? You know, I mean, what gives, man? All, all cultures, all places, you know, it's just like gravity. Gravity is the same here as it is in China. These universal principles work everywhere. This book has been translated into nine languages. As a matter of fact, there's a Chinese version, there's a Saudi Arabian version, a Romanian version, an Italian version, a French version. Because it's the same, life is the same. Think about this. Everybody understands a smile. We may have different languages and we don't know the mechanics of communication, but everybody understands a smile because that's a transference of energy. So the 12 universal laws are universal principles that work for everybody, everywhere. They're principles just like gravity. They, they have some they ways to see it because gravity is like an absolute principle as we understand it. It's not really, but it, if you jump out the window, you're always going to fall. <laughs> okay. But when we look at the first law of success is the law of thought. And the thought is that the, the scripture says that a man, a mind shall have whatsoever it thinks in its heart. So there's a the thought that you have, the ability to form an idea okay, is controlled and impacted by how you feel about that idea and how you feel about yourself. So that first law of success says that you become what you think about most of the time. So as a young person, if you sit chilling and listening to music all day long and not actively using your mind, actively thinking, then the results that you're going to get are going to be accordingly. So that's the first law of success, that our thinking determines our lives, our thinking and our feelings. Second law of success, the law of change. Be not conformed to this world. That simply means that whatever your condition. I mean, many of us in our lives, we can live some terrible situations. We can be going through some challenges. And the second law of success is that if you want to change your condition, change your thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. To think a new thought now. How do you want your world to be? How do you want it to look? How do you want people to treat you? The third law of success is the law of vision. And this, when we talked about metaphysics, this is that that coming together. 
the law of vision says, of course, write the vision, make it plain. But there's so many aspects of vision. You know, there's vision of what you see. There's vision in your imagination. And so the, the principle, though, says that whatever your vision is, if you write it down, don't worry about whether it's impossible. Well, when, I, when people say stuff is impossible, I tell them it's only that it hasn't been done yet. <laughs> Many of the things we thought were impossible have been done. The, the four-minute mile was an impossibility. <laughs> Brother Zumbi, you know, the fact that a person is heading to become a trillionaire, you know, a billionaire. When I was a kid, man, I, I, I said, man, if I could just make a million dollars, I mean, that every issue I had would be pretty much taken care of, you know. But but if you think about it, a billion is a thousand million. <laughs> Even in, in in the old days, when when John Rockefeller and that group set up Standard Oil. I think that was the first company capitalized at a billion dollars. Even Andrew Carnegie, when he sold Carnegie Steel to U.S. Steel, that transaction was roughly like $450 million. That was about the biggest transaction ever done. But now we got billionaires, people who have a thousand million. Two thousand million. <laughs> Five thousand million. So that was thought to be impossible. I mean, if you woke J.P. Morgan up and said, man, that guy's worth $5 billion now, he would look at you and say, that's impossible. <laughs> mm. So it just means that it hasn't been done yet. And so now let's, let's tie in the spiritual aspect. When we talk about metaphysics, we talk about three levels of mind. We talk about the conscious mind, what you think. We talk about the subconscious mind, which is a process to manifest what you think. And we talk about the superconscious mind, which is the God mind, the good mind, the universal mind that exists infinitely and completely and is omnipresent. The, the superconscious mind, everything exists at the same time. And so as we live our lives, we connect our conscious mind to our subconscious mind through our dreams, through our imagination, so that we can see things. That, and, and the Bible says he calls those things that are not as though they were. And so the law of vision gives you a process by which you can take any thought that you have, any thought that you think you can have, that if you apply this process of writing it down and believing in it, having total faith, it can happen. So those three laws are the foundation for all things. <laughs> okay. I can okay. go to the fourth law. Uh, did you want me to stop there or continue? I don't know. <laughs> I simply don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And I mean, number one, I want people to get their own copy of the book, right? Uh, the 12 Universal Laws of Success. Book. Dr. Herbert Harris. Um, but but secondarily, I want to dive down a little deeper in one of the uh, repeated themes I see. You deal with metaphysics, but yes. I'm hearing you quote the Bible over and over and over. And when you use the term metaphysics, a lot of the people that I don't know who would 
who identify as Christian are put off by that. They're, they're like, oh, that's that's the devil stuff. Uh, that's no, that's otherworldly. That's worldly. That's that's you know. But as a metaphysician, you're quoting the Bible. Yes. So for those who are uninitiated, <laughs> tell me about the connection between metaphysical teachings and the canonized writings in the Bible. That's a great question, brother. The, the you know, number one, metaphysical truths are the foundation of all religions. That if you really read the Bible and parallel read the Quran and parallel read the Bhagavad Gita and parallel read all of the spiritual texts, if you go through them, Confucius says, you know, what you think you become. <laughs> we become our thoughts. That there's the metaphysical principles are like the big picture. And each religion, each holy book is like an interpretation of the universal principles. And so Buddha will say, you change your thoughts, you change your thinking. The Quran says the same thing. And so the metaphysics is the universal principle where in the Bible is a conduit to understand that principle. I quote it because I'm I'm a biblical scholar. That was my upbringing. I studied it. I learned it. And so, but I understand that the Bible as with the Quran, with, with every other holy book, is basically giving you their interpretation of the universal metaphysical principles. So, when, when, when Jesus says, for example, Jesus says, if you tell this mountain to be cast into the sea and doubt not, it's going into the sea. Metaphysical principle says, whatever thought that you have, whatever thought that you manifest, if you create the vibration congruent with that thought, you will always be able to manifest that which is congruent with your level of vibration. So when you say doubt not, in other words, if you have a pure thought, the moment you look at the mountain and say, I don't think I can do it, you're right. You can't. You know, like it, the Bible is like an interpretation of metaphysical principles. And, and Jesus demonstrates that when he walked on the water. Now, water is something that most people don't think they can walk on. <laughs> okay. But when he said, when he walked on the water, when he then told Peter to come walk with me, Peter was able to walk on the water. And so metaphysically that is saying that a thought that is in your mind that you can believe with such total absolute conviction the definition of faith in every religion is faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So whatever thought you have, if you have that feeling, the faith in its manifestation, and doubt not, you can you can walk, you can you can do it. So when Peter walked on the water, he was doing good until he looked down at his situation. So many times we'll be at a point where we can create great things, and we look at our situation, we're like, well, you know, I'm black, I'm poor. I don't have this. When we look at our situation and define in terms of our past failures, and we sink just like Peter did. When he looked down and said, oh my God, I can't walk on water. So metaphysics is the essence of truth and religions are interpretations of the metaphysical and universal principles based on that particular mindset. 
Uh, thank you. I needed that deep dive, man. That's uh, what I needed, but I'm sure that somebody else benefited from that as well. That was awesome. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Wayne Dyer, but I listen to him um, daily. <laughs> um, he is definitely a part of my meditation. But yeah, no, I, everything that you said, I cannot wait to get my book because I'm about to highlight this up. Like, oh my gosh. I've already started listening to the audiobook. I made it probably through about halfway. Um, no, I'm not even going to say halfway. About two hours, because I want to say it's like six hours total. Yes, yes. Yeah, so two hours I've made it through. But um, you're, yeah, you're amazing. And I, I this is definitely something I, I see why um, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. DJ Seiko talks about it as he does, because it is something that needs to live on and needs to be um, taught. Honest. Yes. Um, uh, this would be a part of a homeschool. <laughs> this would be a part of my homeschool curriculum. Yes, I would recommend we have something called the Success Mentorship Network. And what we've been doing, we have done, oh gosh, somewhere between four and five hundred audios and classes and stuff. And we're uploading them into this uh, pa- pa- Patreon uh, membership site. And uh, it we have all of our every Saturday morning we do a class we call it the success mentorship class at 8am and those who are part of the network participate on Zoom and at the end of the class we have a discussion group and then things that come out of that discussion group is like whoa you I'm know? sure yeah but it's uh, it's patreon.com forward slash success mentorship network Okay, so the elder has a Patreon. I'm telling you. I know I don't even have He don't think he an elder. <laughs> he, he don't think he an elder. You know, he, he thinks that he's like 27. And I know that, you know, metaphysically, you are he what you be, think you yes, are. He can. Yes, he is. <laughs> if he feels he's 27, guess what? He's 27. Respect elder has it. a Patreon, y'all. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he love may it. not have hair. But he has a Patreon. <laughs> he just outgrew his hair. That's all. He outgrew. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But, but let me tell you, I actually, I actually have hair. My hair is very long. I had to cut it off <laughs> because my hair was curling in and into my pores Ooh. and irritating the pores. And so the only way I could really treat it was just to cut my hair off. I, I don't have a problem. You know, we. We all go through transformation. You know, we don't have to look like people always think we look, but I grow hair like Superfly, man. You know, my girl be flailing in the wind. All right now. Okay, okay, okay. I can see I'm not going to win this joke. I ain't winning this one. And Queen, you're supposed to be on my side, but that's Mm-mm, all right. Because he's 27. You know, I like him. You know, I like him. No, don't do that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yo, that, that's love. That's love. That's love. <laughs> hey, so this is the author's edition. You know, we have author Dr. Herbert Harris, author of the great book, 12 Universal Laws of Success. We have with us Queen Jay, and she has that great yes. tell-all book. Stop talking, <laughs> settling. I talk about um, protecting your peace in there also, Dr. Herbert. Um, because it's important and people have to understand but you go deeper wait you know you go way deeper I'm just on surface like you're 
Y'all are awesome. I love like you. You invite me to such great shows. Like you're amazing. Everybody's amazing. <laughs> yes, but yes, that's Dr. Herb up. Harris is 27. Yes. Okay, so yes. I, I love it. Yes. All that knowledge. Yes. You are. Mm-mm-mm. Ooh, the wonders of Viagra. 27 years old. Huh? Mm. <laughs> mm. That's his business. Don't be playing. Yes, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. Hey, hey, hey. Tell you him. just validated. First of all, you also want to say. <laughs> you know, I want to salute the good brother, Minister Zumbi, uh, the author of The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. So now we have two books, man. Now we have three books, man. We have three books that are kind of guiding this concept of focusing on empowerment. Yes. And so, you know, we went through the foundation. We went through the found <laughs> the foundational uh, laws of success: the law of thought, the law of change, and the law of vision. On the back of the book, once you buy the book, you'll find that there's a law of command, the law of magnetism, law of focus, law of action, law of value, law of relationships, law of supply, law of persistence, and the law of truth. So today we kept it on the foundation. Uh, law of thought, law of change, and law of vision. So, um, hey, follow the law, get your copy of the book. You know, follow the law, get your copy of Stop Effing Settling. Hey, uh, follow the law, get your copy <laughs> of The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. And follow the law, get on code. Get on code, get on code. And look, I want to end with Doc. I want to give you like 30, 45 seconds. And I just want to ask a real simple question, and I, you know, I kind of prepped this a little earlier. And so, you know, the question is, what are you doing differently than the generations that preceded you intentionally? What are you intentionally doing different than the generations that preceded you? Well, there are a couple of things. Number one, I'm very conscious of the need to constantly grow. You know, I used to say, don't quit. I changed that to say, keep going and growing. That many of the, the generations before me, you don't have to settle, as the sister said. You don't have to settle by how they think you should act at a certain age. Why you better? You create, you create that vision inside you. And so going forward, my goal is to create, is to one, be an example by creating my, my new mantra is Herbert Harris, the Renaissance man. And, and I was thinking back, the Renaissance means rebirth, the Renaissance period, the great, the time of great learning and great, great expression. And so what I want to do differently is it's not just about learning for myself that everything I learn is a seed to be planted in the consciousness of others. So being very aware of that now, I'm more selective about what I do, what I say, and what I share. Because I know that whatever it is, it's a seed in somebody's consciousness, and it will grow accordingly. And so my goal is to empower through transformation, through elevation, and through modeling the things that I believe in, that I believe will help others. Why you're very wise for you're wise for twenty seven year old. 
Yes, he is. He better speak. Oh my gosh. Yes. You're so amazing. I love you. Oh, I cannot wait to get my book. I'm gonna highlight this book up. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. <laughs> well, you got you gotta send me I guess I wanna get your book and we gotta stay in communication. Yes. So you, you have my email, right? Yeah, uh, no, no, tell me. It's oh, real- oh no, I do, I do. I have it on on, on the well, go ahead, that we have. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Done. Yeah. Go ahead and tell everybody what e- if if somebody's watching this, what email. It's real simple. Herbert at HerbertHarris.com. Herbert, H-E-R-B-E-R-T at HerbertHarris.com. Send me your questions, your thoughts, any requests for information. Um, I'm there for you. And Jay, can you show us the book cover again? Yes, I can. Oh, wait. I'm too close. Ooh. I see it. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll salute that. Hey, hey. Uh, you know, um, I say that we want to. I say that we want to make sure that your your book sells well, Doctor hey. Herbert Harris. I say that we want to make sure that uh, people still because this is this is book has been out and leading and guiding along the way. Ooh, that's an interesting song. Leave me, guide me along the way. For if yes. you leave me, I will not stray. All right. Yeah. Um, All this right. book has been doing just that for about what ten years now. Oh, at least that the original version was about 15 years ago. Oh my gosh! Okay, I'm so late. Oh, okay, I'm gonna catch up though. I'm gonna catch up. Okay, so that's the new message. That's the new message. That's 15 awesome. years ago. 14 years ago, a new version. Yes. 12 years ago, a new version. Yes. Seven years ago, a new version. Yes. This was what three years ago, right? Yes. A new version. Yes. Oh. So and much growth. That's why we do the the Saturday morning calls because new stuff like that. Our call, our uh, message this week uh, was uh, it was a great message. What was my message this week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's that mind of a twenty seven year old. <laughs> yeah, man. Listening to oh. who are you listening to? And uh, that, like, once I do it, then we put it in the success mentorship vault, and you can listen to it at any time. But the idea, and, and I think what you're doing, Brother Seku, in this, this whole format is that you're always listening to somebody, but it's your choice of who to listen to. And so, choose to listen to people who uplift you, who enlighten you, who love you. Choose to listen to people who can transform your lives in the way that you want to be transformed. And so this listening is the key. And I'll give you an analogy. You know, when you get on a plane and the, the stewardess tells you, she says, uh, you know, if we get a drop in pressure, the mask will drop down and put it on yourself first. And you really hear what she's saying. But hearing is just a physical um, operation, your ears pick it up. But when you're 35,000 feet and the plane's real bumpy and she starts giving you the same message, you know, <laughs> when the pressure drops, the, the mass will drop down. You be, Now you're listening. Okay, listen is where you, you hear with intent. 
And now you say, what'd she say? What'd she say? <laughs> say that again, please. Okay. And so who we listen to transforms our lives profoundly. So choose the ones to listen to who can help you, who can uplift you, who can guide you, who can love you, who can respect you, and who can help you, who can help make smooth and beautiful your way. Yeah. All right. I think that was a great way to end things up. Dr. Herbert Harris, thank you for getting on code with us, staying on code and uh, teaching us the code. Uh, Minister Zumbi, keep doing what you're doing, man. Your book is the uh, manifesto, it's the guide, it's the direction that economically we need right now. And Jay, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I was going to say stop effing settling, but you ain't settling. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I learned, I learned because I've been listening. Ooh. <laughs> to the right people too. Yes. Okay. All right, all right. Hey, I want to go out with some words from the uh, from the Queen, the the guidance of Ida B. Wells. A Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home, and it should be used for the protection which the law refuses to give. Um, just let that melon—you know—I was going to say melanate, but let that marinate for a second. Uh, as we continue to fight the injustices that happen to us. You've been watching Get On Code, so hey, we love you. Thank you for staying. Thank you for watching. And uh, learn the code, get on code, stay on code, share the code. Stay floss, 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 stay floss. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests unless we say we agree unless explicitly stated stay fly stay fly stay fly stay fly stay fly stay conscious stay fly